following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Hope your heart is encouraged by those songs and it's uh, the incarnation is a, an incredible miracle. And uh, it's pretty awesome to just stop and ponder the eternal Son of God uh, laying there in a manger, isn't it? And uh, what, an, what an awesome work that God has done for us. Well, we're in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and uh, we're going to finish out uh, chapter 1 today. And uh, then uh, we'll, take, uh, we'll get back to it sometime in January. Of course, well, next week we'll do a, a Christmas message, and then... I want to close out the year by thinking about our theme devoted to prayer, and then we'll introduce the 2021 theme on January 3rd, and we'll see where we go from there. But I've enjoyed working our way through this chapter, and so today we're going to read verses 16 through 21, and for the sake of context, then we'll focus in on verses 19 through 21. So, Second Peter 1.16 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received glory from, the Fa- from God the Father um, when He such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I'd like to begin today with a question. And that question is, uh, what is the fundamental belief that sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world? So so what do you think? Now, I imagine you might answer that that our fundamental belief is what we believe about God, that that He is a triune and, and, and that He... Uh, possesses all of the divine attributes. Uh, you might answer uh, with the nature of Christ. That, that we believe He is 100% God and 100% man. Uh, probably a lot of you might answer uh, that it's our belief about the gospel that, that is fundamental. That, that we believe we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and all those are, are very good answers. Uh, But I believe that that church history demonstrates very clearly that the fundamental belief of biblical Christianity is our view of Scripture. That we believe, above everything else, that the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant Word. And and that it is our sole authority for faith and practice. So we don't need a church. We don't need some expert expert. We don't need a prophet or or some living apostle to tell us what to believe or to tell us what this book says. We believe that it's all here and it's all clear by means of the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and today, uh, we come 
to one of the most important passages in all of the Bible regarding this doctrine of Scripture. And, uh, and it teaches that the Bible is true, that it is authoritative, and it also gives us a, a very unique window into the process by which the Bible came about. So, so this is a very important passage. And uh, it's a passage that sets the rudder for everything that we believe. And it is profoundly practical. Because how you view this book shapes everything else. So, so as always, we want to make sure that we understand the passage in context. And uh, so remember from last week that, that we said that false teachers had come into the church and they were arguing that Jesus is not coming back. That He's not coming to judge the world and He's not coming to establish His kingdom. And because they believed that there is no coming divine judgment, well, they said we're free to do what we want to do. We can live how we want, pursue what we want, and so they lived lives of vile ungodliness. And so we saw last week in verses 16 through 18 that Peter first responds by describing his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he argues that that experience is, is proof positive that Jesus is coming again. Peter saw the glory of Christ and he heard the voice of God affirm that Jesus is the one who will establish this kingdom. And now we come to verses 19 through 21 and, and Peter turns to a second reason we know Jesus is coming again. And that is that the Old Testament prophets, the Scriptures, make clear to us the second coming of Christ. And in the process uh, here of, of affirming that truth, Peter, Peter not only uh, gives us confidence that Jesus is coming again, but he also uh, tells us some very important things about the Bible and, uh, and about how we are to trust the Scriptures and live in light of them. So, so my central challenge today is this. Entrust your life and your soul to God's Word. Well, I want to challenge you to, to build everything about your life today and everything about your life for all of eternity on what is found in this book. Now, that's a big ask, isn't it? To build your life on the Scriptures. Uh, but, but I want to show you uh, not only that you should do that, but why you should do that, why we can be confident in God's Word. So, so my outline today, then, is built on two challenges that are embedded in this text. And the first challenge comes in verse 19, where God challenges us to pay attention to Scripture. Pay attention to Scripture. So, so notice that this challenge is rooted in an important biblical truth. He, he begins verse 19 by saying, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to take heed as to a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now, now I do need to begin by noting that there are two fairly different ways that people understand that first statement. So, so on the one hand, uh, many people interpret verse 19 as saying that we have a more sure, or, or you could also say a more reliable prophetic word, and they understand uh, Peter to be saying that the Bible provides an even more reliable, more certain witness to the second coming than, than Peter's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. All right, so, so in other words, they're going to say, you know, in, in this view, uh, Peter is saying, I, I heard the voice of God, I saw the glory of Jesus, so we know Jesus is coming again, but 
more certain than my experience, is, is the prophecies of Scripture. And a lot of people hold to that view, but, but the problem with that view is that I think it creates an unnecessary conflict between the Old Testament and, and, the, and the apostolic witness. And, and it seems really hard for me to believe that Peter would in any way diminish the absolute confidence we can have that the apostolic witness is true and certain. Because the whole New Testament is built on the fact that what Peter and the other apostles saw and heard really did happen. So, so because of that, I think that the New King James nails it here when it says that we have the prophetic word confirmed. So in other words, what Peter is saying is that the Old Testament prophets spoke over and over about the coming of Christ, and the transfiguration is actually what confirms what the Old Testament prophets said. So, so we know that, right? That, that the Old Testament prophets, they spoke over and over about the coming of Christ. They gave great detail. In fact, Ezekiel spends several chapters giving de- excuse me, details <coughs> about the temple that will be built in, in the millennium. And so they talk over and over about the second coming of Christ. And, and what Peter here is saying is that the transfiguration, and as well, all the other Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in His first coming confirm that those prophecies are true and that they will come to pass. And in particular, they're going to come pass in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So, so Peter here is not pitting the Old Testament against the Gospels and asking which one is more reliable. He's saying that together they give a strong confirmation of the trustworthiness of Scripture and the fact that Jesus is really coming again. And, and I think uh, just this idea provides us with a good opportunity to just reflect on the trustworthiness of this book. Because there's a lot of people in our day who, who, would, who would just dismiss the Bible, right? As, as, as yes, being a book that's filled with, with lots of good ideas and, and lots of good wisdom, but it's not really an inspired, infallible Word of God. It's just a, a great record of religious history. And, and then many, many people would add to that, uh, that, that, it was, that it's been seriously corrupted, even if, even if God's Word was really in this book at one point in time. It's been so corrupted over the centuries that, that we can't really trust what this word says. Now, now, we dealt in depth with that second charge uh, this fall in our Sunday evening series, and we saw that, that there is clear proof in, in, in the form of thousands of manuscripts that demonstrate that, that we have the authentic word of God. But, but many would still argue uh, that, that, that it's just a human work, it's filled with errors. And it's not actually inspired and inerrant. But I think Peter here would just say to us, I mean, take a look at at all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled over the years. I mean, what's the test of a prophet? If his prophecies come true. And you take a look at the life of Christ, and you can see over and over and over where what the prophets said was going to happen actually did. And the apostles didn't suck it out of their thumb, did they? I mean, they talk over and over about there is this witness over here. There is this confirmation over here. We, we saw it. We heard it. You know, and then just think about this. When Peter writes this book 
He is staring death in the face for affirming these things. If there was ever a time for Peter to, to back down and run from what he believed, it was when he wrote 2 Peter. But he is ready to go to death because he is sure that these things really happened. So, so folks, this book is true. And it has been confirmed to be true over and over. So, so the reason people don't believe the Bible is not because science and logic and reason and all these things disprove the Scriptures. No. The Bible tells us why. It's because they're sinners. And they don't want it to be true. And they don't want to be held accountable to God. And, and so I think it's important to say that, that we shouldn't be intimidated by them. No, instead, we should have absolute confidence that God's Word is true. And that leads Peter to give his first challenge, which is to pay attention to Scripture. Pay attention to Scripture. So again, verse 19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, uh, so, so Peter here tells us, because the Word of God is true, you need to heed what it says. And so the idea behind heed, of course, is pay attention. Listen. Focus on what it has to say. You know, Peter's telling us the second coming is not a cute fairy tale or, or a wishful hope. It's really going to happen. And, and because it's going to happen, then, then, then these promises need to shape my perspective on life. I need to take heed every day to these promises. And I love here how, how Peter describes this perspective, the perspective these prophecies give. He says, they are like a light that shines in a dark place. Of course, the dark place here is, is the world. And, and we would all agree, I think, today that we live in a dark world. There's sin everywhere. There's decay everywhere. You know, we feel like 2020 has gone on for five, six years. When's it ever going to be over? And there's so much in our world that is dark and, and disturbing. And then as well, we've, we've, I mean, most of the problem is not out there. Most of the problem is right here in my own heart. And all of that can feel at times like a heavy fog that, that blinds us to spiritual realities. We can't see the coming of Christ as clearly as we ought. But Peter here says that the biblical prophecies and the promises of Christ's return function as a bright light. It's a light in a dark place. And these prophecies give us vital perspective for how we approach life today. And I found that particularly interesting because I've been reading through Jeremiah in my devotions recently. And, uh, you know, when you read through those long prophetic books, I mean, sometimes they can be a little confusing. Sometimes they can feel repetitive. Sometimes they can feel not all that relevant to my life today. And, and what does Peter say? He says that those prophecies are like a light in a dark place. Because they turn my attention to the hope that Jesus is coming again. And, and, and that hope... Is, is vital to a right perspective on my life today. So, so how long should we pay attention to these things? Well, Peter answers, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. 
Now, now that picture of the day dawning, I mean, isn't that a beautiful picture of the second coming of Christ? Because again, we live in a dark, dismal world. It's, it's quite discouraging at times. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, uh, in a prophecy about Messiah that we read last Sunday, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then Peter, or excuse me, Isaiah goes on to expand on that statement with the famous prophecy that, that, that someday Messiah will come and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, Jesus is going to bring light to a very dark world. And then Peter adds that we are to pay attention until the morning star rises in your hearts. And the morning star uh, would typically be a reference to Venus, which, which is oftentimes visible uh, in the morning just before the sun comes up. And actually, of course, uh, when you see a planet, it's because it's reflecting the light of the sun. So, so when you see the morning star, you know that the dark night is almost over, that the sun is about to come up, and Peter is saying that the coming of Christ is going to bring light and hope to our hearts. And, and, and so he says specifically, it's going to come to our heart. And so the point is, is that when Christ comes, it is going to dispel every doubt and every uncertainty we may have regarding the promises of Scripture. I mean, someday your faith is going to be turned into sight. And God's people will never again struggle to fight uh, unbelief or discouragement. It's going to be a wonderful day. But, but until that day happens, Peter's honest about the fact that we live in a dark world. And, and there's plenty of darkness, not just out there, but right here inside of Kit. And every one of us. And, and we are going to struggle day by day by day. And, and the reality is sometimes it is very difficult to see the return of Christ in the midst of the fog. I mean, there's so much going on around us. There's so much chaos. There's so much that is pulling for our attention and pulling for our emotion. And Peter says to us, keep your focus on the prophetic word. Pay attention to the promises of Scripture and the prophecies of Scripture because they are true. Jesus is coming again. So, so I want to urge you today to take heed to this book. I mean, live in the word every day of your life. Read its promises over and over and over, even once you know them well. You know, I and mean, make sure that, that the greatest voice, the loudest voice in your ears is not some guy on the radio, you know, or, or, or some guy on TV, or, or even someone in your family or a friend. I mean, make sure that this book is the loudest voice in your life. You know, for myself, I, I mean, isn't it a blessing that, that, that sometimes we... we we, we live in days that are crazy and stressful and our mind is a hundred other places. We get afraid. We get discouraged. It's such a blessing to come back to this book and remember that God is sovereign. My sins are forgiven. Jesus is coming again. And it's an anchor in the midst of a dark, dark world. So, so Christian, I want to urge you to pay attention to this book. Make sure that it is the loudest voice in your life. And then the second challenge that Peter gives 
is interpret Scripture reverently. Interpret Scripture reverently. So let's go ahead and read again verses 20 and 21. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so I'm going to begin in verse 21 and then go back to verse 20. And, um, and, and verse 21 articulates the principle that Scripture came from God. Scripture came from God. And, and so verse 21 is a very important verse. Uh, when you talk about inspiration, talk about doctrine of Scripture. And, uh, and, and probably the reason Peter makes this statement is because he is responding uh, to, to some ideas by the false teachers. So, so most likely they were denying Peter's basic claim here that Scripture came from God and they were arguing that it is a human book or, or at least mostly a human book. You know, so they would say, sure, you know, the Bible makes some good points. There's a lot of wisdom there. There's some practical guidance. There might be a little bit of real history mixed in. But they're going to say that, that really it's not any more divine than any other book. And, of course, plenty of people today would say the same thing, right? And, uh, and they respect the Bible as a valuable religious resource. They would say it's got a lot of really great stories that teach really good moral lessons. You know, probably in the next couple of weeks, a lot of pastors across our nation will stand up and, and tell the story of Jesus' birth. And, and, and they're going to tell that story believing that it's not true at all. That it's just a great story with, with, that, that teaches us something about love and sacrifice. And, and, and while that kind of idea might make the Bible a whole lot more palatable to the modern man, it is not what the Bible teaches. And Peter here is very clear, isn't he? He begins with the negative. He says, prophecy never came by the will of man. So Peter flat out rejects any notion that this is merely a human book that, that, that gives us some, 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 some wisdom and help. Quite the opposite, he says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, I do need to note that there is a, a fairly important textual variant here in verse 21. And, um, and so, uh, the New King James says, a holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And there, but there's a footnote uh, with that statement. So, if you're looking at the New King James, it has a footnote that says the alternate reading is, is, that, is that men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so basically, uh, the controversy is whether Peter is describing the nature of the prophets, that they are holy men of God, or is he saying that, that men spoke from God? Um, and so, so is the issue, is he describing the men, or is he describing the source of their words? And uh, I'm not going to bore you today uh, with a discussion of, of textual criticism and and, and why uh, I would take the view that I do. But, but I'm just going to say that for today, uh, we're going to go with what is said in the footnote and, and understand it as saying that men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter explicitly says that biblical prophecy, and by extension, everything in Scripture came from God. Men spoke from God. So, so the book that you hold in your hands 
is a divine book. It is God's Word. It is inspired, it is infallible, and it is inerrant. And as we saw on Sunday nights this fall, it has been accurately preserved for us. So so that we can sit in this room today with confidence that when we open up our Bibles and read them, we are reading the Word of God. It is true. And folks, it is a precious gift. And so the Word of God is from God, but, but Peter also adds that God designed the Scriptures with a fascinating human element. So he, he, he says that, that men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting here, I think it's worth knowing that, that the verb moved, uh, this is the fourth time that that verb is used in verses 16 through 21. It's used earlier in verse 21 when it says prophecy never came by the will of man. But what's particularly significant is that it's used earlier in verse 17. So so verse 17 says, uh, he received, speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice, notice, came to him from the excellent glory. And then verse 18 repeats the verb again when it says of this voice that, that, that Peter heard on the Mount of Transfiguration, it came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So I think it's very interesting that Peter uses the same verb to describe the voice of God coming to him on the Mount of Transfiguration that he uses to describe how the word of God came to us. What's he saying? He's saying that it all comes from the same place. That the Bible is just as much the Word of God as the voice that Peter heard on that mountain. And I think that's significant because, you know, I mean, I I think we all would tend to think, I mean, if I heard God speak and say, Jesus is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, hear Him, that we would never have doubts ever again. I mean, that'd be an awesome experience. But Peter says, this book is is just as much from the mouth of God as the literal mouth of God that Peter heard that day. That's incredible. But but here in verse 21, this verb also gives us a window into how God inspired the Scriptures. And and the same verb is used in in Acts 27 uh, for a ship being carried along by the wind. And I think that's a good illustration uh, of the process of inspiration because, because when wind drives a sailboat, the energy comes from the wind, right? But, but the boat is very much involved in the process. And, uh, and, and, and what Peter is saying here to us is, is that when, when God inspired the authors of Scripture, He carried them along just like that. So, so God didn't dictate the Bible to the authors. You know, maybe at some point... Um, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, you had people that, that were typists and, and people, you know, like medical people and so forth. I remember as a kid, my, my mom recording things from uh, recording medical reports and, and, and then, you know, someone would type them into, into paper. And, and, and sometimes we can think that's how God gave us the Bible, but that's not actually the case. And, and when you read the Bible, you can see pretty clearly that that's not the case. Because, because all the various biblical authors, they bring their own flavor to the Scriptures, don't they? 
They have their own style of writing. They have their own favorite vocabulary words. They have their own grammatical structures. They bring their personalities into the text. They bring their experiences into the text. And so, and so as a result, the Scriptures are, are, are not all the same in the sense of all speaking or sounding the same way. You know, so, so that you look at the book of Psalms. And some of the Psalms sound very different from other Psalms based on the experience of the author and, and even, you know, what, what when David over here is having a great day, he sounds one way. Over here he's having a bad day, he sounds very different. And all that sounds very different from Ezekiel. And you go to the New Testament. Romans, which is written by Paul, has a very different style and flavor than 1 John. Because Paul and John are two different people. And so there is a clear human element to Scripture, but underneath it all, Peter says that they were carried by the Holy Spirit so that everything they said was at the same time their own words, but also the very words of God. Just as much as the voice that Peter heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and I just think it's, it's good for us just to ponder for a moment just how genius that is on God's part. Because aren't you thankful that your Bible does not read like a medical journal? Or that it's not just a systematic theology? I mean, I've got, I've got you know, a, a lot of systematic theologies in my office. Some of them, you know, 1,200 pages, 1,500 pages. You know, and, and they're all just written very clearly. You know, and, and sometimes we think, boy, being by, it, you know, why didn't God just make this simple? You know, why didn't God just give me a systematic theology? Then there wouldn't be any controversy. Well, but the reality is, is that the way God designed the Scripture, that the human element of Scripture brings it to life. And it allows us to connect with the authors in a very important way. That's why the Psalms are so special, is, is, because, is because we connect with the authors, and, and, and they help us work through emotions and fears and, and frustrations, and there's other ones that, that when, you're, when you're full of joy and gladness, there, there's a psalm that, that, that reflects your, your thankfulness, your worship, your gladness before the Lord. And folks, the Bible is an incredible book. It is an incredible book. When you step back and think about the fact that, that when you've got a question that you want to answer, well, there is an epistle that answers that question and gives you a line-by-line argument why you should hold to this belief. When you're in the pit of despair, there's a psalm or, or there's the book of Ecclesiastes to help you work through that. When, when you just are, are trying to grasp something about the nature of God, there's a story about how God judged or a story about how God gave grace or a story about how God delivered. And it takes an attribute and it brings it to life in a story. Folks, the Scriptures are amazing. And because of that, Psalm 19.10 says, The Scriptures are more to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. It is sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. So, so the Bible is an amazing book. And as a result, we must heed Peter's second challenge, which is to interpret Scripture reverently. Interpret Scripture reverently. So notice what, again, what he says in verse 20. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
Now, again, we have to say that there are two fairly different ways uh, that people understand uh, this statement. And, and it's based on how they understand the verb uh, in verse, uh, verse 20, um, uh, how they understand the verb. And, and unfortunately, the verb has a broad spectrum of meaning. You, you really can't determine a ton about the point uh, because this verb can mean a variety of things. So, so, so there are two very different ways that people understand this verse. So on the one hand, uh, the ESV uh, represents one translation. Uh, it says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Right, let me say that again. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So, so, so according to this view, uh, the false teachers claimed that the prophets, you know, they may have had some mystical experiences. They may have seen a vision, dreamed a dream. They may have heard a voice of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can trust the Bible because they might have misinterpreted it. They might have missed the point. So according to this view, uh, Peter's point here is to say that, that the prophets could be wrong, that they might have misinterpreted what they heard. And, um, and, and a lot of people hold to that view, but, but I think the, the, the better view is, is the one that's represented here in the New King James. Again, the New King James says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So, so in this view, focus is not on how the prophet interpreted his experience. The focus is instead on my interpretation of Scripture, that I am not free to misinterpret the Bible. And, uh, and I prefer that view uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the word that, that Peter uses for interpretation more naturally fits a context of, of me understanding and interpreting the Scriptures. Uh, but I think the, the primary reason, the, 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 the ultimate reason why I hold this view is because of what Peter says in chapter 3, verse 16. So, so turn over to chapter 3 and, and notice what Peter says here. Uh, he's talking here about Paul's letters, Paul's epistles. And he says in chapter 3, verse 16, as also in all of his, of his epistles, speaking of Paul's, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. So Paul's not always easy to understand. But then notice what he says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. So, so right there he says that one of the problems they were dealing with was the fact that people were twisting the Scriptures. They were coming up with, with interpretations and meanings that maybe were convenient to them and fit what they wanted the Bible to say, but weren't actually true to what God intended. And I think in light of what he says there, uh, we ought to assume that, that, verse, that our verse, chapter 1, verse 20, is building on that and saying that we are not free to impose our views and our presuppositions on the Bible. We aren't free to have private interpretations. And why can't you just make up your own interpretation of the Bible? Well, because verse 21 says, prophecy never came by the will of man. It came from God. So if it's God's Word, you better stick to what God intended. So, so simply put, the Bible is a divine book that communicates a divine message. So, so I need to interpret it reverently. I need to come to the Scriptures to hear what God said and what God intended. Not to come up with a way to say what I want to say 
or, or to promote my opinions or, or to come up with something that makes me feel better about this or feel better about that. So, so oftentimes we call this authorial intent. It's the most basic principle of studying the Scriptures is that when I come to God's Word, my goal is to find out what did the human author intend to say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what does that mean for me today? Now, now that hopefully is, is obvious to most of us, but, but I think it's worth noting that, that it's not something that is taken for granted in the culture at large or in the church at large. So it just was a, a big point of controversy in the culture at large a couple months ago during the Supreme Court nomination hearings. And, and if you were paying attention, you might have noticed uh, that when Amy Coney Barrett was being, um, was being interviewed, uh, that she was holding to what's called originalism and the, and the idea that when we interpret the Constitution, our job is to find what the original framers of the Constitution meant and abide by it. And of course, liberals don't like that. Now, they want to say that the Constitution is a living document and, and that essentially you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. So, so there's no submission to it. We're just going to manipulate it based on what we want it to say. And a lot of people come to the Bible and do the exact same thing, don't they? Anyway, they, they, uh, I mean, you've, you've probably at some point in your life heard some very creative preachers and teachers you know, who get up and, 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 and they find these things in the Bible, they find these things in the story, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I never saw that before. And you know why you never saw it before? Because it's not there. They sucked it out of their thumb. And, uh, and, and it's not just preachers and teachers that do that. And it happens in, in private Bible study all the time where, where, where people come to the Word of God and, and rather than seeking to find what God said, they're again more interested in saying what they want to say, pushing their agenda, and, and, and saying their views. And, and, and so I, I think, you know, and, and so our job is to stick to the Scriptures. You know, I think just you know, an application here that's, that's worth making is that's why we are so committed as a church uh, to complementarianism and a biblical view of sexuality. Because those things are not things that necessarily the Bible would say are are fundamentals to salvation. But, But in our culture and in our day, your view on those things is a pretty good litmus test on how you look at this book. Because... If you're really trying to bend the Scriptures so that you can fit in the culture and pursue your agenda, those are areas where you're quickly going to find a way to make it work for you. And, and if we're willing to bend on, on, on those issues that, that have cost in our culture, it's probably a good sign that we're going to bend on other things too. So, so folks, the Bible is clear. Peter is clear. That this book is a divine book. And, and God has revealed Himself. He has revealed him, His will in a timeless and clear message. So, so I, when I read the Bible, I am not free to, to make up my private interpretation. You know, I, I can't just... I remember when I was in high school, I was in a fellowship of Christian athletes. And, uh, and I remember one year their, their slogan was, One Way to Play meaning drug-free, and the verse they used was John 14, 6, which says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And, and so the one way to play was drug-free. But that's not what Jesus meant. I mean, Jesus meant that he's the only way of salvation. He wasn't talking about playing sports without drugs. But it was a convenient way for them to push their slogan. And, and folks, we can't do that. My job is to read Scripture in context for the purpose of finding the objective authorial intent. Another application, that's why a central activity of the church it is not that we sit in a circle and, and I say what, the text, what I feel like the text means to me, and then Jim says what he feels like the text means to him, and then Dr. B talks about what the text feels like it means to him. Now, God said, God assumed that the message of Scripture is clear. And so someone doesn't stand up and say, this is what it means to me. He declares the Word. He preaches the Word. Because the Word is clear. So I could go on for a long time. Lots of applications that I'd love to make today. But I hope you get the point. That this is a divine book. And we need to revere it. And we need to submit to it. And that all begins with pursuing God's intent, whether it is convenient or it is costly. So, so with that in mind, let's not forget Peter's primary intent in this text. So he told us that the Bible is absolutely trustworthy because it came from God. And in particular, it is trustworthy when it tells us that Jesus is coming again to judge the world and establish His kingdom. And therefore, we need to take heed to this prophetic word until Jesus comes back. We need to look to it as a light that shines in a dark place. So, so my, my take-home truth again today is this. Entrust your life and your soul to God's word. You need to believe that this book is true. And your life today and your life for all of eternity, you're going to build on what this book says. And that means, first of all, that you need to make sure that you know Christ as He is revealed in Scripture. That He is indeed your Savior, your Lord. And, 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 and the Scriptures are clear that you will never stand before God someday in your own righteousness or your own goodness or, or because you just had some you know, general belief in, 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 in the guy in the sky. Well, the Bible is clear that you need to believe in Jesus and trust in what Christ accomplished on the cross. And if you've never done that, I hope that you will take care of that today and leave knowing Christ as your Savior. And if you are saved, stand on the truth of this book every day of your life with absolute confidence that, that God is going to keep His promises, He will receive you into glory, and He will reward every sacrifice. This word is true. And it is faithful. So entrust your life and your soul to God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, thank You today that You have given us this treasure in, in Your Word. It is a precious, precious gift. And, and Lord, I thank You today. We thank You today. Uh, that You have made Yourself known in the Scriptures. And Lord, I pray uh, that Your Spirit would give each of us faith to believe what Your Word says and, and give us understanding 
Lord, I pray that if there's any here that have not received Christ as Savior, that maybe they have questions about the veracity and the truthfulness of Scripture, that, that Lord, they would get those things answered, that they would believe on Christ and be saved. And for those of us that know You as Savior, Lord, help us this week to pay attention to Your Word, to keep our eyes looking up to the soon return of Christ, and then to, uh, to put, uh, put our feet to the ground and work hard to honor You and to prepare well for the day that we see Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.